Welcome to another pint with Shawnee B. This is another first. We're in a cheese shop in London and it's very smelly of cheese. But it is quiet and I'm here with a very old friend of mine from... He's not, he's not old, but we mm. know each other for a long time. Uh, he is a futurist, um, first futurist on the show. Richard Watson, welcome. Thank you very much. We've been trying to do this for about two years. We have indeed. Various places. So anyway, what's the future hold? <laughs> I don't really care anymore. <laughs> I'm a bit over it, to be honest. Richard's been running a, a couple of brands called Now and Next, Brain Mail, and... Uh, there was Brain Fruit a very brain long time fruit, ago. Yeah. No, that's, I was that's with you when you were launching that. We were working together on that. And what he does is, on one level, he gathers all the latest new thinking and ideas from around the world and pockets it and packages it in a friendly, bite-sized email stroke website. He also does speeches and talks around the world about what the future is going to bring for, from industry to society to culture, and he's an all-around bright egg. So, seriously, what's the future hold? I really don't care. <laughs> I'm trying to disengage from it. Are you positive honest. about the future? It's something I ask quite a oh, few. Oh, you know, I mean, some days yes, some days no. I mean, I'm, I'm generally pretty positive at the moment. I had a phase where I was just very pessimistic it was that sort of early days of trump yeah and i was expecting the worst you and most of the world and he seems to have um i don't know whether he's sort of got a little saner or i've just got used to him or combination of the two but i'm a, I'm a little bit more relaxed i've also sort of taken a so rather, give, give, give people who are still petrified about the whole trump thing some reason to be more okay the, well, what sort of cheered me up a bit <laughs> this is a slightly weird one what cheered me up a bit was it's not the end of the world and if it is there's nothing you or i can do about it so you right. might as well relax and the problem with sort of constantly having your head in the future and trying to cover every single thing on multiple scenario levels is it does slightly do your head in i mean i started trying to write a book about thinking and it occurred to me that perhaps the end chapter should be something around can you think too much and I think actually you can at some point I, yeah. I think you can go slightly crazy the, the other problem is historically what I've done is, is read a lot um, and try and sort of digest it and cross-fertilize it and there's just too much stuff to read now there's just too much information and i've started quite seriously disengaging i mean one trick i've started to do which works quite well is i've started to read newspapers backwards in the sense that sports page first no 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 not that not that i will buy i mean first of all the dailies i've given up with they're just full of nothing weekend editions of of major newspapers are quite analytical and that's good people have the time but i like reading them a month past their read-by date and you can skim it real fast when the news is old news and you can just put it together it's quite zen-like you can put things together in a much sort of calmer way and that that seems to work but i I also find that if something really important happens the news tends to find me or somebody will say have you seen this have you seen that or i'll just bump into information and i I swear to god 95 percent of what's on television what's in the news what's on the radio is of no consequence so i i've just taken the view to just get the hell out of there to some extent I mean I've switched slightly to sort of new, uh, away from newspapers to periodicals on paper I find reading things on paper makes me calmer books up to a point if you can find the time magazines um, so my reading list has shrunk fantastically over about the last sort of six nine months yeah, I'm the same I'm finding it really hard to read books I don't know why because I've had lots more time on my hands the idea that we would give up following the news some people swear by this in fact a lot of people who since Trump have actually employed this. They don't read the news or follow it as little of it as they can on probably the base of what you just said. That it's, I mean, everything is kind of binary and the idea that 
we're all going to hell in a handbasket. No, I disagree with that. It's not binary at all. That's that's the still classic mistake, I think. You know, okay. we, we think that every car is going to be self-driving, and actually, I don't think that's going to happen. We're going to get these sort of blurry sort of gray areas where there's a bit of this and a bit of that. You know, the new technology takes off, but the old stuff refuses to go away. You know, look at look at music, look at books. You know, you've got both side by side to some extent when people were, were predicting the extinction of, of one because of the, of the other. I mean, the other problem with the future at the moment is it's, well, first of all, the future is literally now. You know, I'll, I'll dream something up and, you know, within a second I'll go online and find out that somebody's already, that's already happened. Um, you know, I've written books where you come up with some fairly extreme ideas about something and then the whole world starts talking about it before you've even finished the book, so you have to take it out <laughs> of the book. The terrorists hijacking self-driving vehicles was, was the example there, but I, I then moved on to people bringing down airplanes with smartphones and then that, that started getting talked about way before me finishing the book. And, you know, I have a good friend who writes real books, um, Labby Tidal, he writes science fiction books, and we had a kind of interesting conversation once about, you know, what does the word future mean? If, and he writes several hundred years into the future, bear in mind. I'm, I'm just right. concerned with 20 he's or 30. Like H.G. Wells in his time. He's, he's a bit like that. And he was saying, well, the future is when things start to get really weird. And I, I sort of struggle to work out how they could be weirder than they already are. I mean, you know, one of the things about writing books about the future or talking about it is you need to be fairly provocative. You've got to come up with some ideas that most people disagree with or have never thought of. And that's becoming increasingly difficult these days. I mean, you know, Trump is the president of the United States. It's, it's yeah. a bit like living in an episode of South Park. Yeah. So it's incredibly hard to come up with provocative thinking when there's all this provocation around us every day. We're also, over the last couple of months, getting murmurs about the fact that he's going to get four more years. What's your prediction on that? I think it's distinctly possible. I mean, <laughs> I did a trend map once of, of a couple of years ago, and um, at the bottom was a bunch of global risks, and it took about two years to do this map. And at one point, I, one of the global risks was decline of human intelligence, and underneath was Trump really is president. And before I finished the map, he was, so I had to take that off. And actually, Trump's getting a second term is, is distinctly possible. At the time, I was thinking, you know, maybe he's not that bad. You know, we, we're all sort of apoplectic, if that's the right word, about a glass of rosé, um, about Reagan not so long ago. So, you know, maybe he turns out okay. That's a surprise scenario. You never know. I think it's unlikely, but, I, I you know, I think he's a complete lunatic. But I think it is, in fact, it might be even better than it, than Evans that he, he gets a second term. That is a distinct possibility. Yeah, I think the things that are being mooted is, first of all, there's no obvious person emerging to take him on and that person should be coming out of the woodwork around about now which is you know close to two coming up I mean there two. is there is no alternative in the words of Margaret Thatcher he is the personification of a of a need and you can take Trump away and then something else will pop up and it's similar to some extent to Brexit I mean this this is an aging demographic that feels increasingly disenfranchised and uncomfortable and it's their sort of reaction to it um, so yeah you take him away you get another version of him to some extent also the fact that the jobs are falling which people did not predict unemployment would fall as quickly as it has in the US people's pensions and shares because let's face it at the end of the day America is a greedy greedy country are being looked after and my worry is that it, the wider thing is just the whole spread of selfishness and yeah, the difficulty of looking after fellow man and the difficulty of sort of the, the, the you're fired element that he brings to the party, the identity politics, the bubbling over of racism again in a, in a way that was always there, but it's, it's being fomented. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very extreme form of capitalism that he represents. And, and to some extent, what we're living through at the moment is, is, is capitalism with the handbrake off. You know, they used to be a stabilizing force in, in the sense of it was the sort of the, the West versus the East, it was the US versus Russia, and that's kind of collapsed now, and it, it's a complete free-for-all. 
I'd say you can do anything as long as it's not illegal, but actually you can even yeah. do stuff that's illegal too. Yeah. So, and I think that is creating a deep level of anxiety. It's like the bad guys are winning. There's also too much change going on for most people's liking, which makes people quite sort of nervous and flighty. And you're absolutely, you, you've nailed it. I mean, we, I mean, first of all, I think we need a, it sounds a bit sort of grandiose to say it, but we need a strategy for the human race this century in the light yeah. of things like AI. And the other thing I think we need is we, we need to move away from me back to we to some extent. I mean, that smacks of collectivism, which is a bad thing to some yeah. extent, but it yeah, is... It's this idea that we all, if we don't do capitalism, well, all we're left with is Marxism and that killed billions, which is true, but we don't... We don't look at the social dem- democratic countries of Scandinavia where they seem to be doing it a lot better than people than, than It's, than it's completely book. self-absorbed. I mean, there's something in the papers, um, obviously not that I read them, um, a couple of days ago about, well, actually it might even be this morning, I heard about it somewhere, about there's a study that the loneliness at work and you know people are just, they're in there with their headphones on, they don't talk to people, they just email them even if they're six feet away. And that's all terribly efficient and convenient on one level, but if you spin that forward you know, 30, 40 years, I just, I think you have, you know, the narcissism, the self-interest, the personalization turns into potentially, well, it's extreme loneliness yeah. on, on quite a lot of levels. There are a lot of people that say, you know, we don't need other people. You, you can be a perfectly well-functioning human being dealing with everything virtually. You know, you're at home, you never leave it. You work from home, everything you need is delivered from home. You socialize virtually. And it's, it's to some extent a generational thing, um, but I, I think personally that's wrong. I think at some level you would go completely mad if, if that's taken to an extreme. You do these brilliant, um, you just referenced them, the, the future uh, maps, which look like a kind of a tube. That, uh, you've clearly got inspiration from the London tube map, but they're absolutely fantastic. I'll put a link to one in the blur of the podcast where you can just basically pick a theme and follow Richard's predictions into the future which are, which are rabbit holes that you can just go down and they're, they're fantastic. Elucidate your views on, on, on the future of technology. You mentioned AI and stuff like that. People are terrified of the singularity of the robotic overlord. Well, I'm, again, I'm, I'm pretty pretty relaxed about that stuff. I've, I've, I've always thought that's a bit unlikely. I, I went to a really brilliant conference recently on, on AI and sci-fi with a bunch of really serious academics. And, and I mean, the robot thing is nonsense. We can completely disconnect and react um, not react, uh, relax about about that threat. It is it is not coming. There are there are some very clever robots designed to do very specific things. But this sort of idea of the sort of general marauding, transformery, Independence Day type you know, dystopia, I just don't think it's coming. On the basis that we can always just switch them off. On the basis that it's very difficult to create. A, I mean, we've we've not really progressed in a hundred years on robots that can walk around and be generally useful. What we've got really good at is creating robots that can do one thing unbelievably well. Yeah. Now, the the only exception to that, as far as I can see, is is autonomous weapons um, that just do their own thing. They they are a, a real threat. But I don't think the threat is robotic. I mean, there is a threat from robotics, but the bigger threat is is sort of unseen automation. It's algorithms that are sort of taking the humanity out of the human race. That that's the real threat. Um, in terms of general AI, similar. I mean, I, I, I don't foresee general artificial intelligence emerging anytime soon, although there are plenty of people saying it's imminent. I think very smart and narrow AI, absolutely, it's been with us for a while, actually. And even if we do get AGI, um, artificial general intelligence, the, the idea that it suddenly wakes up and becomes conscious is is ludicrous to my mind. It's just... You know, we we can barely describe what human consciousness is, let alone replicate it. So I, I that's not something I'm worrying about. It really is. The, the, the other side of that coin, though, argue that 
it might not be human consciousness, but it might be, you know, there was a, there, I read somewhere that if you had the most powerful computer in the world and you were asking it to replicate a tomato, right? So you, you, you put a tomato in front of it and it, it basically had to replicate that either by whatever screen printing or whatever, that it would uh, possibly blow up the world because it would look at every possibility to make a tomato. And one of those possibilities would be blowing up the world. Oh, that didn't work. And so that we oh, have these, we have these, we have these robots that are designed to solve problems, but they also oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. they can't I mean, work out the fact that the, no, blowing up the world is not an option. Please, thank you. The, I mean, you've got to be very careful what you specify with with artificial intelligence. I mean, there's a thing called the paperclip thing, paperclip something. If you ask a machine, a, a really intelligent machine, to maximize the production of paperclips, same same end result, it destroys the world because yeah. you know it'll it'll do anything, anything to maximize the production of paperclips. Yeah. So yeah, you. But it just needs one prick to get that wrong. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of, this is where it's optimism versus pessimism. I, think, I mean, short term, I think I'm a little bit pessimistic. There's a lot of things can and will go wrong. But longer term, I think we're sort of vaguely smart enough to sort of sort the problem out and see, see various things coming. New bases of normality, though, creeping stuff like climate, where we, we kind of know there's a problem. We do fuck all about it. For Interesting watching Al Gore's mm. new movie. He's like slapping his head going, like, Maybe we could, but you know, even things are starting to happen there. The, the cost of the solar cell has come down, and companies can start seeing that they can make money from environmentally healthy, especially places like. I, I mean, first of all, we, we seem to be. I mean, we, we keep inventing new fears. We keep inventing new anxieties. I, I don't entirely know why. There's probably some sort of deeper thing going on there. I mean, what people forget is it's you know the future is not a linear extrapolation from present conditions. That's the classic mistake people make. You know, it's it's a system. It has feedback loops in it. I mean, we were hysterical about peak oil ten years ago, actually ten years ago. And what people failed to see was a how much oil is left depends on how much we're willing to pay for it. You know, the more expensive it is, the more incentive there is to go and find more of it. And the you know the, the history of the oil industry to some extent is is technological innovation. There's an assumption in there, and all predictions contain assumptions that we'll need oil in the future. Maybe we won't. And then there's a sort of feedback loop in play. You know, if oil gets really expensive or undesirable, there is a huge economic societal incentive to go and find something else. And energy is one thing I'm just really not concerned about. You know, we are bathed in energy every day. We have a short-term storage problem with energy. I mean, I'm far more concerned about food and water, and particularly water going forward. And water, you've either got it or you haven't. It's quite difficult to sort of substitute an alternative. There, are, there is only a certain amount of water on the planet. Yeah, somewhere. but even then, even there, it's just, you know, it's like paper bags. We, we started charging 5p per paper bag, all of a sudden plastic our behavior, bag. yeah, plastic bag, our behavior changes. Um, you could change the water problem with pricing, with societal shifts in terms of attitudes, behaviour, regulation, um, you know, and we're wasteful. You know, 70%, I think, of, of global water use gets sprayed on fields willy-nilly. You know, why don't we try precision agriculture is an idea where we start watering individual plants, not entire fields. You know, we start getting clever with how we use it. So I'm ultimately quite relaxed about that as well. Things that Trump is making America great again, and you hear a lot, is the march of technology is... You know, out of control, uh, people yearning for the good old days. Were there ever any good old days? I don't think there ever were. I mean, the, I mean the interesting thing about make America great again is it's, it's backward looking. It's again is the key word there. And I think there is a bit of a battle going on now between going backwards and going forwards. You know, Silicon Valley is all for going forwards, and you've got other sort of demographics, other regions that, that want to go backwards. Because, I mean, it's your point, you know, were there ever? It's perceived safety in the, in the past. You know, there's, there's two massive things going on potentially at the moment. One is, is climate change, the other is aging populations. And aging populations have a tendency to retreat into history. You know, nostalgia is a very potent force for people over 65. Um, so that comes into play as well. And again, we're being very 
singular in terms of looking at technology and extrapolating forward. You've got to over, overlay things like, like demographics over technology. And there's all sorts of scenarios in terms of, of where things could play out. I mean, the other thing that, that I, I find quite amusing about the likes of AI and robotics is people seem to talk about it as though it's some sort of independent force. You know, we are the ones inventing and deploying this stuff. If it's making us feel uncomfortable, then we should do something about it. You know, the, the future is something that's created from what you and I decide to do today and tomorrow. It's not, I mean, a lot, okay, some of it. Except we have for Scaramanga no or Ozymandias in his cave up in Greenland, who's done, you know, yeah, much of it's mean, working on, you know. Bits of it are rogue. Bits of it are out of control, and, but, uh, but we are hugely powerful, both individually and especially collectively. And if we don't like the direction of things, then it, it's incumbent upon us to change them. What would be the three, you may have already mentioned them, if you have to skirt back over them, the three things that you do fear we're not paying attention to that we really should be? Are you, are you referring to just trends or horsemen of the apocalypse? Uh, no, you as a person, what do you, uh, like, you, you studied all this stuff and you go, oh shit. Okay, I, I, they I can think, be flippant if you want. But I think the biggest problem this century is loneliness. Right. Which I've been, well, I've been talking about for a while. It's sort of slightly coming onto the agenda now. Um, you know, on the one hand, we're connected like never before, but we're, it, it's superficial. And, you know, we're living alone. Um, we don't need other people like we're used to. And I think people at some sort of deep level are, are feeling, you know, ultimately quite, quite lonely. Um, I think another issue that, that is getting some airplay, but not enough, is sleep. Big, big issue, not just for physical health, but mental health. I mean, I'm particularly interested in sleep because it's, it's so necessary for the generation of ideas it's it, you know when we're asleep we make sense of the day's data we start cross-fertilizing today's data and generating insights and ideas the third thing i'm very concerned about at the moment is income wealth opportunity polarization the world is becoming a less fair place i mean we have been here before it's possibly arguably not as bad as it has been in the past but it's still pretty bad and i'm not sure that's sustainable i think at some point society snaps if you have that level of inequality snaps with pitchforks and I don't know maybe maybe I mean and then other stuff I mean I've been talking about I've, I've sort of given up talking about screens and the internet and social media as, as sort of addictive and disruptive forces in a negative sense because everyone now is starting to talk about that although you kind of wonder where everyone was 10 years ago I mean I read a book 10 years ago about the serious negative downsides of social media in particular but just screens in general and, and smartphones with their hugely addictive nature and, it, and then so all of a sudden everyone seems to have woken up to this and it's it's amazing how it's a bit like inventing things you your timing can stink if, if you're too soon with saying something nobody will give you any attention you know even if you've got your timing right and you're saying something that is blatantly obviously true it's quite possible that nobody will listen because you're not wearing the right kind of suit. You haven't been to the right kind of institution. You're not the right age. You know, if, if some guy, you know, sitting outside the tube on his uppers is holding a big sign saying that the end of the world is nigh, we, we no attention whatsoever. But if George Soros says it, we all start paying attention. It's, I mean, there's there an article on, going back to AI, um, Frey and Osborne out of Oxford University about the effects of AI on unemployment. And there were some statistics which, from memory, 47% of US jobs we're under threat of, of automation over the next 20 years. In the UK, they were wildly pessimistic, saying, oh, sorry, optimistic, saying it was only 36%. And everyone sort of believed that because it says Oxford. And actually, if you dig into that study, it's monstrously naive. It's stupid on so many levels. I mean, it's very binary. Either a job survives or it won't. And there are yeah. some things that, like, you know, well, according to them, there are no watchmakers or watch repairers in the future. 
and you kind of think, well, why? And I actually did ask them, and they didn't respond. Why? Why would you say that? Are you assuming everyone's got the clock on their phone? That, that, that shows no understanding of psychology and why people wear watches, which has got nothing to do with telling the time. And they, I think they've got surgeons as being sort of job safe when actually the, they are potentially under threat, according to some people I know and, and stuff I've seen. So it's, it's all, yeah, you know, it's completely autonomous or semi-autonomous When, when are we ever, as a species, I mean, this may be a question that you can just blow me out of the world because I, I just can't think of many off the top of my head. Where we, as a human species on this planet, have identified a problem that is a big threat to us and aside, oh, from, okay. th- aside, yeah, yeah, yeah. aside from things like uh, vaccinations and stuff like that, vaccination process, which, are, which I, I accept are huge. But, you know, we've had one of the continents of our planet underwater, well, literally not underwater, under sun, you know, underwater in terms of food, in terms of poverty, in terms of disease for all of my life. And yes, we have reduced the numbers. And yes, well done now, maybe instead of four billion people living under the for, you know, under two dollars a day, they're living on you know two ninety or whatever. But when have when have we ever really galvanised? We got a man on the moon. Oh, I think this, uh, the obvious thing is nuclear weapons. Right. Where until very recently we had that completely under control. It's something we invented and decided that we wouldn't use them. Chemical and biological weapons until very very recently, and we're talking years, not even decades, were completely under control. Um, I think we are beginning to galvanize around the issue of antibiotic resistance, which is another of those big sort of threats. And I thought you were going to say, when, you know, when were we ever optimistic? And my answer was going to be, in the, I think, in the 60s. And, and, you know, the 60s, technology was universally seen as a force for good, which maybe some people still see it like that. You know, and you had Star Trek as this sort of optimistic science fiction. And, and now all science fiction seems to be dystopic. Um, I mean, race and civil rights were all over the shop. And there was, that is true. That is America true. America was burning in the 60s. I mean, the, the funny thing is, though, if you look at, okay, you know, I think, was it Obama said, you know, when, when there's never been a better yeah, time to be alive. Yeah. You look at all of the, the metrics that really matter. You look at human yeah, lifespans. You look at yeah. women in, in education and work. You look at infant mortality, extreme poverty, death from, from serious crime and war, um, access to clean water, um, it, you name it. There's no question now is is the golden age. Stephen and, Pinker's theory. Is you know, what, what do you want? 2018 or, 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 or 1918? Yeah. No, no contest. You know, Spanish flu raging post-World War One, yeah. But somehow we don't see that. Everyone is very anxious. They're worried about this, that and the other. I'm not sure, but I think it comes down to two things. First of all, we're exposed to too much information. A lot of it highly dubious. So we're, we're being put on the back foot the whole time. You know, go back 100 years, very little information reached our conscious minds. And w- when it did, it had probably been discussed quite a bit. These days, it's just like, there's no filter. It just hits us 24-7. The other issue, I think, is the perception of too much change going on. And this is an old idea from a book called Future Shop from early 70s by Alvin and Heidi Toffler. The central thesis was the perception of too much change over too short a period of time would, would create some sort of mental instability at an individual and institutional level. And I think that's what we're living through right now. And we, we are grappling to find ways of controlling the information flow and controlling the perception that there's too much going on. If you, if you talk to a lot of business people right now, they're, they're very senior business people. Their issue seems to be, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to pay attention to. There's all this stuff going on that people tell me is going to be disruptive. What do I focus on? And 
to some extent is I think the answer is what you've always focused on I mean I was in Australia recently talking to a bank about platform banking and AI and my wife has a bank account with them and I know full well that they can't even spell her name right answer their phone stop blocking her credit card or the worst one is they send her other people's bank statements now Forget about AI yeah. banking. Just, just fix yeah. the real simple yeah. things. And, and also, the other thing that's not changing, which we forget, is us. Basic human needs have not changed since we crawled out of a cave. And we're not properly addressing that stuff. So, you know, the other stuff's icing on the cake. And, yeah, you know, once you've got the, the basics right, you can start fiddling around with that. But most people haven't even got the basics. What about uh, from a more light-hearted approach? Quite a lot of your work that you send out, you also balance it with mm. funny or interesting, ironic visions well, of the future. What are, what are some of the sort of... I think the first thing is you can't take this stuff too seriously. Because <laughs> anyone, that anyone... Well, no, really, you, should, you shouldn't, really. Yeah. Um, anyone that takes this whole thing seriously is delusional. And any, anyone that's, that stands up and says that something will or won't happen is kidding themselves, you or the pair of you. We fundamentally don't know what's going to happen. So a, a sort of degree of tongue-in-cheekness is, is definitely required. And I think also, you know, if it's sort of a bit grim out there, a bit of humour doesn't, doesn't hurt. And actually, yeah. humour is, is, is an r- incredibly human trait. And yeah, you could get machines to invent and tell jokes, but they're not, not fundamentally not very funny. So humour's always good, and, and I quite like... Um, I mean, I'm a real fan of Black Mirror, and that's where you know yeah. you take 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 now and just spin it very very slightly and put a sort of black edge on it. I, I yeah. think putting a sort of humorous edge on it it just sort of lightens it a little bit. And, and I don't know. Um, I think it probably comes back to the fact you just can't take it too seriously. I mean, all these sort of maps I do, there's always a joke somewhere, yeah, yeah just to yeah. keep people on their toes. Quite often, people don't see them and take things way too seriously. So yeah, I, I think, and also if you, I don't know about the future, but certainly if you start looking at creativity and innovation. Having a bit of a laugh, having fun is integral to the entire process. So maybe that's true with the future as well. One of my friends said recently, why are we, why are we not laughing so much? There's no joy at work. I mean, I can tell you about work yeah. like, without naming any names. But you know, when you and I were, we used to work in, in moderately large places. There was a bit of tomfoolery, a bit of banter. Um, now, we, occasionally it went a little bit too far, but yeah. it, was, it was well-intentioned, well-natured, and, and to some extent joyous. And now, you know, you can't say anything, you can't. Yeah touch anyone on the knee you can't yeah. call anyone a twat you can't you yeah. can't do the practical jokes and, we, and there was a thing at somewhere I worked recently where actually I probably shouldn't say this but I've started now haven't I where you know we need to we need more fun in the workplace and I, I was the worst thing I, I was I was suggesting um, ways to inject fun and um, one of the one of the ways of injecting fun was was to have a sort of have a drinks and the first thing that happens, I mean, I'm assuming somebody did a sort of risk assessment on the drink somewhere along the line that I wasn't aware of. But the second, the second thing that happened was they wanted an outcome. And it was like, well, the outcome is we have a drink, we have a laugh. Yeah. Um, and, and people were seriously suggesting that there's almost somebody with a clipboard walking around, writing down what they're yeah. saying for the output. So yeah. it's, a bit like, it's a bit like having a dinner party yeah. with some great mates where somebody's transcribing it. It's like, Jesus... You know, um, I mean, two of the worrying things are this: this breakdown of, of you know, and you know, there's, there's obviously a very serious side to tranny toilets and identity politics and personal pronouns and me too, and not belittling it, but there needs to still be the court jester poking fun. At this. There is nothing. What's that? What's that formula? You know, tragedy plus time equals comedy. Yeah. And to my mind, there is nothing you can't make a joke about yeah. as long as you maybe leave it a little while. I mean, I still think it, probably the Holocaust is it's going a little bit too far. Um, especially if you're not Jewish, but um, you know, tranny toilets are definitely worth a joke. Yeah. Um, and the problem we have at the moment, I was talking to somebody recently about sort of 
big things that nobody's talking about. We've got this sort of extreme liberalism, you know, this is back to the sort of narcissism, I can do whatever I like thing, which is hitting up against this sort of rather sort of new puritanical street, Calvinist thing that's going on. So you've, you've got people, even within the Labour Party in Britain, that, that are saying, you know, everything's allowed and, or, or something is completely out of order and then doing the exact opposite themselves. And to some extent, this will get us in trouble, to some extent you see that with the Me Too movement. I mean, there's on one level, I mean, it's a good thing on one level, but on the other level, it's sort of completely contradictory and hypocritical with, with some of, you know, some of the stuff that's going on. I mean, everyone thinks we're, we're seriously free here. You know, you cannot sit down in London on Waterloo Bridge and start selling socks. You know, there's no, there is no freedom there. There's freedom to do other things. And it, but it's, it's hitting against some other stuff. So it's probably, to some extent, the least free we've ever been. Well, I mean, I think the people who I know who are... So let's just say the, the most I don't know what the word to use is the most liberal feminist maybe I mean, they're not, they're not the Nazi feminists but the people who are just going like there is an issue with women 10 in a thousand rape cases getting evictions no, there's, there's there is an issue issues, with, sure. with, with sexual harassment in the workplace there is an issue with glass ceilings for women there is an issue with women in Ireland my country being treated like it's, it's quite classist in a sense. I mean, you can you can you can stand up on the red carpet at Hollywood with a big banner saying "Me Too" with your nipples hanging out your dress, yeah. and that's perfectly acceptable because that's that's me being me and that's empowerment. Yeah. Yet if you if you're sort of you know walking around a Formula One grid in your bikini with a bit of yeah. cleavage showing, that's demeaning to women. It's yeah. like, well, hang on a minute. Yeah. I'm not quite sure I understand that. We probably no. shouldn't go there. We'll get lynched. But you know, I, I well, the, no, the, the other point about it is is that point about all getting lynched. It's also stifling conversation. People are afraid to have the conversation. Oh, it's the no platform thing fuck at university. Having the conversation, I'm not like in any way a misogynist. Yeah. But and I'll, oh, listen to him saying, yeah, I'm not. You know, and it's like, oh, well, only a true misogynist. That's a real and you get into a problem. Web. And I'm like, going, no, we need to sit down. Like, we need to have discussions about Islam. Oh no, it, it, Islam yeah. is a very peaceful it's, religion. Yeah, okay, but some of it, some of it is actually causing major problems. The no, the no platform thing at universities is deeply troubling. There, there seems to be things now. That you're just not allowed to say, yeah. or, or not even believe, yeah. um, in the privacy of your own home. Identity, the personal pronouns now 34 and counting, including elf. By the way, I, I identify as it's an elf. It's weird. And I, I want, you know, but and if you don't call me elf, then I am offended. On you can be in Canada, put in. Well, I mean, that probably is the future. Crime. I mean, everyone thinks it's quite, it's quite binary. It's not this. It's that. Um, and actually, you know, things like films like Robot and Frank and Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, to some extent, are these sort of interesting mixes of of things that are contradictory and things. Some things work, some things don't, and that's probably quite accurate actually yeah. in terms of what we're what we're getting. You mentioned loneliness earlier. What about happiness? Is happiness just bullshit? <sighs> I think it's largely bullshit. I mean, it, it, you never hear about it anymore, which is quite interesting. Yeah, um, it's like one of those. It was like lactose intolerance. Yeah, it's... Um, oh, that's another subject. All these things yeah. we're, we're allergic to, whatever. But they go away, um, and then another one comes yeah, along. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, happiness. It doesn't make any sense to some extent. You cannot be... It's, it, it's being sold like a sort of can of beans on a supermarket shelf as though you can just do the right thing or series of things and be happy permanently. You know, happiness is not a permanent state. Happiness only makes sense in the context of sadness, to my mind. Yeah. You, you know, the, 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 the yin and yang on that one. Yeah. But the idea you can go on a sort of course and be happy is, is just a load of bollocks. There's something in it, and I actually preferred the word, I prefer joy and joyous to happy and happiness. Yeah. But that's not, I shouldn't demean it too much because I think a lot of people out there are not happy at all ever. And it's not a bad aspiration, but it's a, it's a slightly naive, idealistic, simplistic one. 
it's so vague and it's not a panacea to depression and it's not the answer to bipolarity and all this kind of mental illness etc you know, the idea that we would take away sadness from the world, but if we lost sadness, we we wouldn't be able to be. I, I think know, it's, a, it's a it's a asymmetry. Oh, by the way, just in terms of those sort of three horsemen or whatever, the mental illness is. You know, I think we're possibly on the verge of a mental illness epidemic, particularly with with younger generations, due to the sort of anxiety and pressures built up in the system. That's another one to sort of add. I mean, it was a little while ago in HR circles, you heard a lot about sort of purpose and meaning. Again, it was banded around a bit like happiness, which I'm not happy about, but. There is something in purpose. You know, you could say, I mean, they talked in, in New York recently, and this French woman said, ah, oh, Mr. Watson, what about love? Um, when I, I missed the, uh, the comeback on that should have been, you mean generally or between us? Um, but <laughs> careful, love, careful, yeah, careful. Yeah, yeah. Love, even love, which I think, you know, McCart- Lennon and McCartney weren't far wrong on that. But if you have purpose, love is a byproduct. You know, you, I think that the key thing we need to find as a species, particularly in the light of all of these disruptive technologies, is some kind of purpose. And probably purpose has something to do with thinking of yourself less and others more. Helping other people yes. gives you a purpose to a very large extent. I was talking to you about this kindness idea, which I've been living off. I filled the God-shaped hole in my heart a few years ago with putting the word kindness in. And I am a bit cheeky, and I do take the piss out of people, and I sometimes offend. So one of my ex-bosses said to me, I only open my mouth to change feet. But I have been living on this thing of having kindness at the center. Was I as kind as I could have been today? Will I be as kind as I could be tomorrow? Mm. And it's very simple, and it's very powerful, you know, because it actually includes due unto others. It also allows you to decide, you know when you're being unkind. You know, you know if you're saying the wrong things to the wrong people at the wrong time or the wrong person. Yeah. You don't always get that right. I mean, kindness could quite literally change the world. I mean, I, I once on one of my maps, I had cascades of rage, which means that if somebody doesn't let you into traffic or gives you the finger in the yeah. you know, and you, you then sort of pass on that rage to somebody else and it cascades throughout the entire city, you know, that yeah. day. And actually just letting somebody in when they're trying to get into traffic or just giving, you know, and a lot of it's to do with common decency. You know, you, you stand on the tube and it's just, Amazing how many people don't stand up some 85-year-old. Yeah. I mean, if they're on crutches, they'll probably get a seat. But if they're just yes. straight 85, they probably won't. Again, it's, it's back to that thing of thinking of others. And we should be thinking of others more because we're more connected to others. But actually, it's doing the absolute opposite. The connectivity yeah. is, is, is putting the focus more on us and our needs. And we're, I mean, you, you know, you see people on public transport and they've, they've got their headphones on, they're staring at the screens. They're not even aware there's other people in the carriage. And I think if, yeah, if we all started being really quite kind to each other, I mean, I think you're allowed to be nasty as well. And I think if somebody crosses a line, I wouldn't be kind to them. But I think you'd get a very, very long way. And it's probably ridiculously naive in the context of what's going on in the world. But um, I mean, do you think we'll ever? Do you think there will be a World War Three coming soon to a cinema? I'm, world? I'm slightly expect, quite slightly surprised there hasn't been one already. I mean, I, I grew up with the whole duck and cover under the table in primary yeah, school. That really helped. Um, I think total war is is a possibility. I don't think it's a very. It's, I don't think it's very probable. I'd, I'd hope we were sensible enough to avoid it. Although one of my favourite films of all time is Doctor Strangelove, and there's a couple <laughs> of characters from. Doctor Strange Love in offices of power at the moment. Yes. In fact, probably more than two. Um, I'm more worried about things like biological terrorism, pandemics, collapse of antibiotic efficacy, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. But it's yeah, it's you know, it's it's a possibility. How does one become a futurist? Uh, well, in my case, you just get asked to write a book about the future, and it sort of comes with the territory. Um, there are courses where you can do future studies, horizon scanning, which is another way of 
calling it the same thing. Um, generally, you just stand up and call yourself one, and it works perfectly <laughs> fine. It, it, ha- it helps enormously to write books, and you've got to sort of say things. And the, the, the great trick, in a general sense, if you want to be a tabloid-friendly futurist, is you, you make all these ridiculous pronouncements, but you don't attach any detail or timing to them. And you just sort of sit back and wait, essentially. And if after sort of 10 or 20 years nothing's happened, you just kind of like do it again in a different country. London to be covered in marmalade yeah. in 2028. But um, the, you know, the funny thing, I mean, I was on that, when I saw you in Dublin, and I was flying back on, on Aer Lingus, and I had about an hour, and I was, I was trying to, was caused by what you said, which is, you know, you must be in a great position having done this for after 14 years. And I thought, am I? What have, okay, what have I learnt? And I've learnt that most people are wrong about an awful lot of things given enough time. My batting average is, is actually not bad. Even when I'm right, probably nobody will listen. But the, the only thing of any significance or worth I've learned, I think, is that most of the time I'm not talking about the future. I mean, it's a bit like science fiction. Science fiction has nothing to do with the future. Science fiction is a way of voicing contemporary anxieties and concerns 95% of the time. And 95% of the time, the word future is sort of subterfuge. It's an excuse for allowing people to think quite deeply about what they're doing right now. I mean, if you, if you sit in an office at British Telecom, you stare out the window for two weeks without moving, you will get either fired or some sort of warning. Whereas if you say, oh, I'm thinking about the future, it's perfectly allowable. <laughs> oh, yes, he's thinking about the future, leave him alone. So it's a great excuse to, to help people to think. And ultimately, I think that's probably what I'm for. That's what I do is I am, I'm, I'm there to try and facilitate some kind of deep, rigorous, sustained reflective thinking about what people are up to and where they might be going. And what do you think the future of futurism is? Um, I, I think it's over. I mean, I think like a lot of things, it's cycles and it's fashion. I think it's coming to the end of a cycle. There's too many people doing it. It's, too, it's becoming incredibly difficult to do because of the speed of change and volatility. People are getting a bit fed up with it on all kinds of levels. So I'm not quite sure what's next. I mean, um, you might get historians being back in vogue rather amusingly, or maybe it just sort of shifts back to kind of innovation or something. I think it's, it's a bit like innovation. I think it's, it's an overused term. It's used quite badly in some instances. So I, yeah, I, I've got a feeling, my, my sort of futurist prediction on futurists is that it's coming to an end um, of a period, although, and it should probably lay low for sort of a, a decade or two, and then it'll probably make a magnificent comeback. Well, we might get you to make a magnificent comeback and a pint with Shawnee B in the future to discuss what we discussed. Thank, Thank you very much. much, Richard Watson, for being Cheers. on the pint with Shawnee B. There's plenty of links to Richard, his books, etc., in the blurb. Go buy them. Um, and I thank you for joining us. We're going to try and see if we can reincarnate the Monty Python cheese shop sketch. Goodbye, everyone. See you, Richard.